everyone. I'm your host, April Hanna, and this is the Path 11 Podcast. Just a reminder, we are offering access to all of our archive shows, which is well over 100 hours of content, and new bonus shows such as the Virtual Book Club, Food for Thought Friday, and the Two Minute Tuesday, all for just $3.99 a month. Think about it, guys. That's less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks. Sign up for premium for just $3.99 a month. Now let's get to this week's show. We have a packed show for you today. I'm very excited about our guest. I am speaking to Robert Williams, who is the co-founder of 108 Inc., a Portland-based innovative technology company. He's the inventor and developer of quantum code technology and sympathetic resonance technology. Robert's research has provided scientific breakthroughs in field-based technologies, consciousness, and human potential. Robert has also enjoyed success as a musician and educator. He taught music at the university level and recorded and performed with such artists as the Beach Boys, Paul Horn, and Charles Lloyd. So for some of you Beach Boys fans out there, this is going to be fun. After having a near-death experience in 1979, Robert devoted all of his time and energy towards researching consciousness and subtle energy along with conventional physics and medicine. And I know our listeners are going to want to hear a little bit about those near-death experiences. So um, be prepared, Robert. We're going to ask you some questions about that, too. And moving on, just to tell you a little bit more about him, his research was published in the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine and the journal Subtle Energies and Energy Medicine. He's been a guest lecturer several times at the University of California at Irvine and the Thai Sophia College of Alternative Medicine in Maryland. Additionally, Robert co-developed the 108 mobile phone HeartPlus app that enhances, supports, and maintains highly efficient human and animal bioenergy levels. He also co-developed a way to revitalize drinking water, restoring the molecular relationships of H2O to match those of pristine healing waters found around the planet. Love is the Power describes in raw detail how his life journey continued to turn from one direction to another, eventually leaving him struggling for his life and the unexpected revelation that through various means has improved the quality of life for millions. So this new book that he has coming out, Love Love is Power, is something that we are going to talk about. But as you can hear from Robert's bio, this is going to be a loaded show. We definitely have some conversation about his near-death experiences. I'm sure some of you would like to hear about his experience with playing with the Beach Boys. He's got this amazing app that's out there. So we have a lot to cover. Let's get him on the show. Welcome, Robert. Hi, April. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Good morning. My goodness. Where do I begin with you? <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere. Jeez. All, all, all paths will lead to Rome in this case. <laughs> okay. Well, reading a little bit about, bit about your background, maybe we should start with um, some of the music, because I, I understand that as you were playing, there were some medical issues and some health issues that actually led to you having to leave music um, for a while there. So I don't know if that's where you'd like to begin your story, but I'd like to hear a little bit about that, because I feel like there's some of, some of that that's kind of propelled you into what you're working on today in the world. Sure. And I, I bet you at some time or another in all of our lives, we reach a point where all that we thought was 
who we were, our lives, and what we thought was going to be the future collapses. And it's uh, historically or metaphysically called the dark night of the soul. Um, when I was um, young, I really was into my music, my saxophone. I practiced all the time. I found that zone of consciousness playing in different bands and and I just loved it. I knew I was going to be a musician, get my teaching credential, go on the road, see the world, get married, have five kids, teach music for the rest of my life and be happy. So that, that was, uh, uh, I had it all laid out, third year of college at Cal State Hayward and music major. And uh, things were going pretty good. I was pretty good on the saxophone, pretty good as a musician in general. And my jaw, though, was also hurting more and more and more to the point where one morning I was awakened by this amazingly hurtful situation where my jaw would not open. And it was kind of this, it's a terrible feeling because all your reflexes and muscles are saying open, you know, and you can't, and it's, it's stuck there. What, um, what happened to make a long story short here is that I, I um, had an accident when I was seven years old, fell off my bicycle, and there's a joint there in your jaw called the temporomandibular joint, or the TMJ. And when I was diagnosed, they took an x-ray of that area. I had injured it when it's age seven, and now fast forward to my second, third year in college. Because of the position, I had to have my jaw and mouth to play the saxophone. It was it was damaging or, or irritating this particular joint and the muscles would go into spasm and so forth. And I, uh, was just sitting there in the dentist chair and I never, I'll never forget when he said, you know what, you know, we've, we've located the problem and I go, Oh, great. Well, no, you know, they've located the problem. I can, I can play my horn again. He says, but there's no solution. You know, there's no way to go back and change your jaws. You, you're just going to have to give up the saxophone. And this was the seventies. So was, why don't you play guitar? You know, everybody else plays guitar. And I remember, what? You know, wait a minute. My whole life is about music and about the saxophone. And and I was booked up six to eight months in advance in bands all over the Bay Area. And uh, so this was just a devastating point of my life where um, I, I, I was propelled into a, a, a path of seeking that which I felt could not be taken from me. And so that gets into all kinds of philosophical conversations. But uh, this, at this point in my life, I dropped out of college because I knew I couldn't play that many hours and, and pretty much gave up my music and uh, began my spiritual journey. But yeah, yeah that, that was, that was the, uh, my, my major dark night of the soul with my music. And anybody who's been into something that passionately and then because of a medical reason or some other reason, you cannot continue, especially at that age. It's a it's a devastating confrontation. It's a it's a it throws everything up, and you don't know where you're going to land. Yeah, exactly. So, can you tell us a little bit more of, you know, as we're moving more into your consciousness studies and your experiences? What were some of these stories of these near death experiences that you had? Um. Well, first, I, I grew up uh, seeing things that other folks didn't see or didn't report seeing. I was 
looking at nature spirits and different uh, beings in the backyard. Um, so I suppose all children can can see things like that. And I continued to see things as I was growing older. And I think this was part of my uh, ability to go in and out of the death porthole later on, which I'll talk about. But um, first of all, they, my parents were very concerned because I was seeing things and auras around people and dark, you know, I'd see this dark thing around Uncle Uncle uh, Dickie, you know, what's that dark thing there I, I see? And, well, oh, God, he had cancer. And how did Robert know, the, how did little Bobby know this? You know, he's only 10 years old or whatever. Those kinds of experiences. Um, uh, when I, okay, so now let's go forward to 1975, 1976. I um, had started meditating, doing transcendental meditation. And uh, even though I couldn't play my saxophone more than two or three hours a day, I was still playing. I was attending a university in the middle of Iowa called Maharishi International University, which was founded by Maharishi, who started Transcendental Meditation. It was a fully accredited college. All the students were meditating and learning, you know, everything that colleges teach. Um, it was during the time that the Beatles and the Beach Boys and Donovan and Mia Farrow and a lot of celebrities went to India to learn TM from mm -hmm. directly with Maharishi and it made big news. And the, uh, and the Beach Boys all learned and they, they came back uh, after those courses. And Mike Love, who was the greatest um, proponent of TM, and, um, said, you know what, for our next album, we need to get into a different environment. We Why don't we go to this university, record our album there because it's so peaceful and the vibes are so good, the good vibrations are so high. Uh, and so I was a student there at the same time. So this is one of those amazing synchronicities. So, you know, I was going to school there and just playing in a little local band just just to, for fun. And uh, Mike and they started recording a Beach Boy album there on campus. They made a, a recording studio, and we weren't allowed as students to go there. And you know, but we knew it was happening. One day, I got a a message in my student mailbox: "Please report to this building, and I and bring your saxophone." I go, what? So <laughs> it, it was. Uh, uh, the producers of the album and and. and eventually Mike Love, and they were, at the time, overdubbing the horn sections for the album, on the album, and uh, the word got out that there was a sax player on campus, and why fly in people from L.A. when you can just go right here, you know, and walk across campus. But I had to try out, I had to play the parts. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm recording on this Beach Boy album. And uh, four or five sessions later, you know, we laid down the tracks, and I'm thinking, gosh, this is, you know, I'm listening to their harmonies and I'm seeing Brian Wilson and Al Jardine and just like, oh, my God, I'm only 23 years old. And, <laughs> right. Like, is this really happening is right this now? really happening? Exactly. And uh, but I was uh, uh, I was convinced that it was really happening enough to come up with enough nerve at the very last session to white to to walk up to Mike Love and say, um, you know, Mike, thank you for, you know, allowing me to play on your album, on the Beach Boy album. But um, I don't have enough money to continue going to college here. 
can I just go on the road with the Beach Boys and play in your backup band? <laughs> and so, wow, <laughs> you know, and he said, uh, well, you have to talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and it turned out that they needed a sax player. And next thing I know, I'm touring with the Beach Boys. So that was uh, how I got into that uh, that uh, that group. And it was from 1977 or 1976 to, through 1979. I did that one album and I also uh, did concerts with them, which was an amazing, just a powerful experience. Uh, the, the Beach Boys were having trouble internally. That's a whole different story. Brian Wilson was having some issues. But part of that time uh, was golden for me because I, I hung out with Brian Wilson um, the genius behind the Beach Boys, and uh, I can tell you some stories about that, where he would just sit down at a piano and kind of noodle around, and then all of a sudden, he'd start playing this song out of nowhere, and it was a Beach Boys song or a hit record for somebody, and I would be the only one with Brian, because I just would hang out with them. It'd be three in the morning or something like that. And he was singing all the parts and playing. He's saying, Bob, you play this on the saxophone and the trumpet's going to play. The he had everything all at once. And he's singing and I'm thinking, oh my God, this is going to be another Beach Boy hit. But then the next morning he would forget it all. And uh, we tried to, to uh, harness in some of that creativity for our next album, but just the whole experience was wonderful. Brian Wilson, he's having a comeback. God bless him. He is a brilliant musician, genius. And so my, my few years with him and the rest of them was, were golden years for me. Oh, we're, you'd asked about near death experience. So Sorry. Yeah, no, but I wanted to know about all of that too. I, I tend to ask usually like three questions in one. So you're, you're doing great. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. So uh, I was. I also got very ill, physically ill, and um, you know when you're young, you just kind of ignore it, you push through it. Um, but it didn't get any better. My physical condition got worse and worse and worse. And um, I'm six foot three, and I was down to about 110 pounds. Uh, so I'm, I'm. I stopped playing. I couldn't play with the Beach Boys anymore. This was in 1979. And um, I was bedridden, and the doctors had no clue what was going on. I went back and forth to the doctors, to this doctor, that doctor, um, this hands-on healer, this, you know, your endocrinologist and so forth. They, they just could not figure out why all my organs were shutting down. And at one point, I stumbled in there in the doctor's office, and he said, you know, look at, we're looking at your latest blood chem panel. We don't know what's going on. Something serious going on. We don't know what it is. We've got to get you in the hospital or else you're going to be dead in, in, at most six months because everything's failing. Your heart's weak and all this. And uh, you know, I just – this was one of those moments where I thought, is this going to make it a difference? Is this where I, what I should do? Go into the hospital and have them monitor me? It was a very strong intuition to not go there. And, and for your audience, I have no problems with hospitals. I think they're great. But I knew that if I went to that hospital, I would die for sure. I, I just had that intuition. So I actually uh, told them, no, I'm not going to, oh my God, you're going to be dead. But I went back to my home. It's a beautiful home in Santa Barbara at that point by the ocean. And just 
um, I had been meditating. I, I grew up clairvoyant. I believed in other worlds. I believed in other dimensions. I uh, had had earlier out-of-body experiences, very interesting dreams-like things. And by the way, I never. Uh, I was very sensitive from from day one. I had a weak liver, so I couldn't ever drink. I couldn't ever do any drugs. I tried marijuana once when I was. 17 and I wound I was so out of my body that I wound up walking walking to high school walking down the street and I was like a third way there and I looked down and I didn't have any clothes on I just like oh my god this is too spacey for me and I run back in I had no awareness what was <laughs> about my body so I ran back in naked swearing that I never smoked marijuana again and so just just to kind of and I never did the drugs I was afraid to but uh, I was having altered experiences on my own, I guess you could say. So um, here I am in Santa Barbara, 1979, and the doctors have given me no hope. And I began to just pray and just to meditate and just say to the universe, if, if you want me to hang out here, you know, I wasn't married at the time, didn't have any, I was pretty successful. I had a million dollars in the bank and, you know, had achieved a lot by that age. So I didn't really have too many attachments. And I was in such misery and in such pain that I was, oh, God, I think I'm ready for my next life. You know, I think I'm ready to die. And not in a pathetic um, uh, way, not in a suicidal way, but just, you know, I believed in the afterlife. And this was not a happy life at that point with the amount of pain I was in. One morning I woke up and uh, everything was hurting. Everything was terribly uh, painful and stumbled into the bathroom. And, and um, I either tripped over and hit my head or I passed out and hit my head because I don't remember that part. I remember when I got back into my body, there was a, an injury or there was a cut on my head. But something happened and the next thing I experience was looking at my body on the bathroom floor. And, you know, I just, oh, I must be dying. You know, you know, there's because here's my there's my body. And and I thought, what is it that's perceiving this? You know, is it just interesting side thought? Then I accepted that I was dying and uh, in a sense, surrendered to just turned um, away from my physical body and just, you know, felt that this was my death. This was fine. And I surrendered. The next experience that I had was, um, complete light. There wasn't anything else. There was just complete, infinite, whole, loving light. And that's the only word I can, you know, I'm sure your viewers, it's not like the sunlight or it's just an inner uh, dimensional free reality that um, there is no pain, no suffering and all was love. I didn't, didn't really know I was there until I became a little bit separated from it. So now there's this a little sense of I experiencing the light, but I was so close to the light that that's what what the impression uh stayed with me uh, so so that's what i remembered and um 
a being showed up, whether I projected this being in my own consciousness or whether it was a real uh, celestial being, it doesn't really matter to me. The being said I had a choice to go back into the light or to go back into my body. And of course, I didn't want to go back into my body, my physical body. It was horribly sick and yuck. And uh, But I asked, do I have a purpose? And the answer was yes. And at that realization or that communication, I knew that I, I had to go back if I had a purpose. So that's when it became very interesting because I then, you know, the light began to dim and I began to descend, if you will, through these various dimensions. I write about these dimensions in my book in detail, but there are, they, they start with these amazing things that you can't quite, I can't quite put into words, these huge orbs. And, and then I was seeing things that were a little bit more familiar at some point. Uh, there was a dimension that was full of symbols and geometries and sounds and just this kind of ecstatic place of geometry and in golden mandalas and like that. And then, then I, each time I descended, uh, there was like a little blackout, like, um, like going into deep sleep for a second. And then I would wake up in this different dimension, which was now full of these huge beings, which I call archangels. And, and cause I read about them later and then, then angels. And, you know, I kept coming closer and closer to my body. And I saw these realities, these different ways in which uh, life takes uh, alternate pathways or different pathways after the death of our bodies. And it's, it's very beautiful, very complex to the, to the mind, but very uh, perfectly cosmically orchestrated. Um, right before I got back into my physical body, I remember feeling this amazingly loving like a mother, mother's love and a feeling of the earth itself as a condition of like a nest full of love. And it was just, just extraordinary. When I finally got in my body and literally I'm like, now I'm, I opened my eyes. Actually, I wiggled my toes at first and, and remember, remembered hearing the, um, I remember hearing the, the birds outside in the garden and the ocean waves and the little insects making their sounds in the garden, you know, and in the wind. And, oh, my God, I, I just understood at that point more than an intellectual understanding, but a, um, a deep, deep truth understanding that the very intelligence that is governing nature itself how the waves were flowing and the, the wind and, and the birds and what the birds were singing, the, the intervals of their bird songs and the insects. It was all just amazingly the symphony of, of the divine, the symphony of love, uh, or at least I could say the symphony of intelligence, real intelligence that was more than anything we could have ever done ourselves as separate individual minds and that intelligence i knew was also the same intelligence that started my heart beating again started my breath breathing again 
And so for about three or four minutes, April, I was in this place like this planet can be a paradise. Look at just feel this innate intelligence. It can govern if we serve it, if we flow with it. Not so much just the environment like we think of the planet, but just the essence of physical life, the essence of um, the miraculous things that are happening all the time. You know, one cell is now growing in our left hand and another cell is dying. It's all perfectly make, making up our bodies, making up this individual being that I call my body, your body. There's intelligence there that's remarkable. So I understood that at a very beautiful level very sublime level. And then my head started to hurt and then my gut started to hurt. And then all the pain came back and, you know, uh, I go, Oh, but I was changed and I, you know, cleaned up my mess and, and packed up my car and, um, continued on with my life, uh, which incidentally I didn't die in six months and I didn't do anything other than um, begin to visit these realms, these dimensions in a conscious way. So I can, I can go into that, um, story if you want, but I've been talking for a long time and I want to make sure <laughs> I'm not, uh, uh, I'm going, I want to make sure I'm going in the direction that you want me to. Yeah, absolutely. This, this is great. And I would like to hear, um, maybe a little bit more about those dimensions. Cause I know that you're cut, you cover a lot of this in your book. And, you know, as you were saying that I was thinking to myself like, Oh, so maybe since he had that opportunity and that experience of moving through them and kind of coming back into the physical body that once you have that intelligence that you're able to access that again from, I don't, I want yes. to say memory, but maybe more of a knowing, um, you know, to go, to go back there. And so, yeah, I, I would like to hear more about that. And I would like to, to talk, um, specifically about that one stage of sacred geometry. Um, cause that, I find that really interesting. And, you know, through the course of the energy work that I've done on a lot of clients, I've always heard about sacred geometry, but I never have, I've never picked up a book even to this day about it. Um, but what was happening was I was working on individuals and I was seeing a lot of geometric shapes and some, and grids and certain things that weren't making sense to me. So of course I hop on Google and I say, you know, what, what does this mean? And sure enough, I was tapping into some sacred geometry stuff. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about that realm because I'm beginning to start to investigate that a little bit more. But yeah, if you could tell us what your visits were like going back into those realms, that would be great. First of all, we are sacred geometry. Uh, the, the way our cells grow and the DNA the geometry within the DNA, and then more importantly, the, the subtle blueprints or the, the forms in which our bodies grow into is all related to uh, these sacred geometries and the ratios. Um, so let me get back in. Let me tell you more. So now, after that near-death experience, um, I, I, I bought a, a sprout farm uh, down in, in Flint Springs, east of San Diego, so it was literally out into nature and we beautiful area. And I began to, this was the technique I discovered. I would, I would sit 
and I would say my prayers for the highest good of all, prayers like that, and I learned some Sanskrit prayers. And I would um, ask myself, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And I would identify that which I was resisting. And we all have things we are resisting or things we're running away from, things we're trying to get away from. And of course, we all have this kind of innate, well, we want to hold on to that which was ple- is pleasurable or that which is more comfortable. Well, there's this dilemma that we are faced with as humans. So I, I saw that in my own psychophysical reality. And I would say, well, okay, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. And the technique I used was to go right into that fear and just surrender into it, to not resist it at all, to, to love it in a sense. So love in its highest modality is unconditional. It just, it just accepts unconditionally without trying to change it, without, doesn't want to, it just accepts it as a, at least as a stepping stone into a relationship with whatever that is. So I would identify these fears and accept it, kind of surrender my life into that fear and be willing to die in that moment. And what happened was I absolutely surrendered to the point where I popped out the other side and relived that near-death experience. So then I would see my body sitting there in meditation and there's cushions and I was, you know, and then I would go into these various uh, various, um, uh, dimensional states. Uh, What is interesting, April, is that the geometries would indicate where I was in higher dimensions. So if I was at a certain place, there would be a symbol there, a geometry, a a mandala. And um, uh, so there I am, there's, I'm experiencing this symbol. So there's a duality. And since I was more than willing to die, even at that point, I would surrender myself into that symbol, into that mandala, and then wake up, so to speak, and see these these information fields of all kinds of wonderful things. And then I would come back. Actually, I would go to a point where I I would then black out. So there was no consciousness whatsoever, like deep sleep, but probably deeper. And then I would wake up back in my body again. I would breathe really fast, you know, and and I'd kind of integrate into my physical body, and I'd write down what I had seen, write down, write down, write down. So I would continue these experiences or these trips, if you will, for about two years and and kept studying what I was seeing and in many times communicating with beings. And there are all kinds of beings, and that's why the prayers are important for the highest good, and there's certain um, breathing patterns and visualizations that are important so we don't get... Uh, involved with something that's not of the highest good. I learned that as well. So, um, so that that was what I my research years doing things like that. I also found a book in the Santa Barbara Library called Symbols, and it was one of those experiences where you're walking along and it's like somebody, some cosmic spotlight right. takes your eyes. <laughs> 
to the top shelf and there's this book that kind of halfway out called symbols. It really did happen. And I opened it up and it's a little the public library and I'm looking at all these ancient symbols, the same symbols that I had seen in these experiences in the near death experience, these mandalas and symbols. And I just, you know, I bought the book and, uh, and I still have it to this day. And for instance, you look at a, it says like one of these, this particular symbol is found in all the indigenous religions and in all the ancient art. These kind of ratios, symbolic ratios or geometric configurations were even found on Paleolithic cave art. And so what was going on with the artist was that he or she was just cognizing an essence of truth uh, of the human physiology or the human consciousness uh, project, you could say, the experiment of consciousness on this planet, which is awesome. And they would, in their higher state of, I want to express art, which would cognize these symbols. And they also found these symbols in, in even the Mona Lisa. If you do the geometries in the Mona Lisa and the great arcs, art of Michelangelo, just an, an amazing book that I got. And one of the symbols in particular was found in ancient um, Sanskrit, pre-Hindu. It shows up as a mandala and the uh, ancient uh, religious uh, priest would present this symbol to the student or devotee. And the devotee would just meditate on this, on this yantra, on this geometry to open the heart chakra. And once... And how the heart chakra uh, was opened by meditating on this symbol, visually looking at the symbol, and then um, mentally imagining this symbol, was that the this is the wonderful new science of geometries. They found that the heart actually has those ratios. The physical heart has those ratios. So when we um, so so that was a, a powerful mantra because, sorry, a powerful uh, mandala because of the innate geometric configurations of, of the essence of not only our physical hearts, but our spiritual hearts and how they're interacting with the different chakras and so forth. It became a whole new world of wonder and investigation. And I, you know, it wasn't like, oh, this is my purpose. This is why I'm here. I wasn't given a specific directive for my purpose, quote unquote. It was just, I had one and I just followed, I followed what was happening in my meditation, what was happening in, in these synchronicities, such as finding this book and reading. Eventually it led to the development of technologies that I, uh, uh, worked with scientists to broadcast the subtle energies or the ratios of, of the symbolic energy through the airwaves. And it's, it's not a leap to think, you know, right now I'm looking at a computer, we're on Skype, right? And, and uh, if I were to, to uh, get this mandala and get it up on my screen, of course I didn't draw it on my screen. It's, in, it's, a, it's now become ones and zeros. The digital domain has translated a sacred mandala that uh, I got off Google Images and it's ones and zeros, and, and it's here, and we're getting it from, uh, I'm on the internet. So 
I started to think, my gosh, these symbols can be carried on digital uh, broadcast systems. Can the energy also be carried? And that gets me into another path I took with Dr. William Tiller at Stanford University, chairman of the Department of Material Sciences, really smart guy, but he also went deeper into his research on what crystals do in the body and what energy they connect with. They're like transducers of higher consciousness and higher wisdom, these crystalline structures. And the crystalline structures have these same geometries that were in the mandalas. And it all began to fit together in this, wow, beautiful uh, choreography of, of uh, this planet. Well, this, that's a great segue to go into a little bit about this app that you created. And, and it also seems to me that you really have figured out your purpose. And I feel like your book and like you say, you know, on the title there, you're helping humanity move from fear to love. I mean, that's kind of your biggest message is, you know, how can people always begin to choose love over fear? And then I I love how you kind of, you know, thought in those ways of how do you connect this to, to technology? So can you talk a little bit about the Heart Plus app that you created? Yeah, those, those were the Heart Plus app has those, energies, the, the sacred mandalas. Now, there's 108 of them. And let's just reference the Vedas because they're, they're more written about in the Vedas than in other religions, but they're also in other religious texts, ancient texts I'm talking about. The Vedas talk about different ages of humanity. And there's an age called uh, Kali Yuga. Yuga means time. So the time of Kali and it's a time where uh, the uh, the ego has been given freedom. The individual free will has been given uh, complete freedom to explore its possibilities. And so that is the age we're coming out of. So the individual ego, the, the uh, me versus you, the uh, me, what can I do for you and, and what is in it for me, all those questions are the dark side of that uh, evolutionary phase and the the light side the the other side of that polarity is um well if i if i love you uh that actually is all i need to do and there is a condition of love that is immediately responded with our own hearts not and that's it right now it is most prevalent with mother's love. When a, when a mother has a child, and I'm a, I'm a father now, so I remember certainly fathers too. When we have an infant, the mother, the infant is crying. The mother puts the infant to her heart. And at first there's just unconditional love. And that's the blueprint for the possibilities for this planet. We have the blueprint with unconditional love from mothers and our, and, and the, the child. It's also their active for one human to another. But back to my little exploration of the different time frames on Earth. So I realized that um, I read that we're in this Kali Yuga period. It doesn't give like 1964. It doesn't give the dates. And there's all kinds of debates about dates. But uh, it talks about symptoms. And it says, as we move from Kali Yuga to Sat Yuga, there's a, a bridge, a, a transitional bridge where um, the existing systems of society will begin to uh, break down. And the, uh, the example is like 
caterpillar to butterfly, the caterpillar's nervous system begins to break down to give way to this higher state of order. Back to the um, the mandalas, the mandalas that are symbols of energy activities uh, at this time during the bridge between Kali and Sat, or bridge between the, the age of um, fear and the age of love, is symbolized by these 108 mandalas. And not only do they symbolize this transition, but they are are resonating with the higher consciousness. And so uh, so that's those are the symbols in the 108 in the the Heart Plus app. Um, they're also just they're also found in how plants grow and how when we take a walk out by this the, the ocean, they're in how the winds and it's just it's nature itself and nature in a harmonic uh, a harmonic reality or a, a reality of harmony where the ecosystem is is uh, in charge more than than uh, than the individual ego so it doesn't take too much to remember that the individual phase of humanity's growth has made some mistakes look at the air pollution and there's people right now suffering and dying and we can talk about why the earth is doing storms and earthquakes and and catastrophes but even more important why are we killing each other and why are we hating each other why is there a child being abused right now somewhere you know this is just not what we feel is is uh, our highest level of potential as as a human species so the Vedas knew this. They knew that there would be a bridge into higher consciousness through the heart chakra, through the literal heart. And these mandalas, there's 108 of them, go up and down. The, the, they, they resonate with particular chakras, some on the left side, some on the right side of the chakras, or the shashinya tube, it's called. And, and um, there's a, a mandala for uh, the sub for the right position of our minds, the mental bodies, that will allow the minds to, to retrieve information when necessary. It's like through our thoughts. We get we want information to, to live life and know what's here and there and where do I go here and that kind of thing and knowledge. But the mind becomes a servant to the heart. It doesn't hold everything else as subordinate. So the minds which we are used to running the show um, are, are repositioned to uh, serving the heart, serving the, the divine mother, serving the mother's love in a, in a way that is quite miraculous. And it's how my own body was, was healed, by the way, tapping into that energy. And what I see happening all around us, why you're doing what you're doing, April, and the, the nature of your show. So the heart app is just those 108 mandalas that have been changed into a, a, a field generator with a URL. And it took us a while to figure this out. I work with really smart people. And so a URL, just like if you go on the App Store or Google and you get a game or something, there's a, there's a URL that houses the information on that game. And my daughter plays you know, Wolf Quest and these things on her computer. But we also have this app now that you can go on Google and the App Store and download it's called the heart plus app for $1.95 one time fee I feel like a, <laughs> you can have these sacred mandalas 
vibrating through your cell phone uh, all the time. Anytime your cell phones are turned on. Um, when I when I uh, had this uh, epiphany with other people that we can do it through digital, the digital domain and picked up via a, a, a cell phone, I wanted to make sure that the technology of the existing technology of the cell phones um, was going to be um, enhanced and that the, the harmful effects would be at least neutralized. So we did a two-year study uh, from uh, a brilliant professor of biophysics at University of California, Berkeley. Her name is Beverly Rubick. Two-year study with the app, the real app, and then a, a sham app that looked the same on the cell phones. And it was very controlled so that uh, people couldn't say, oh, I think I feel better. She measured heart rate variability, which is a measurement of heart health, and found that with the person using the real app, heart rate variability increased, which meant stress decreased by about 30%. So just being in these natural fields actually improved the health of our hearts. And we can't make a medical claim. We're not making a medical claim. We're just saying that the heart rate variability, HRV, was increased, which cardiologists um, associate with a healthy heart. So that is something that is like the frosting on the cake. I, I mean, literally, April, I just cried because I was just looking for no harm, you know, neut neutrality in, in forming this community through the Heart Plus app and and um, having these geometries, these sacred uh, mandalas in their environment. Not only did that happen, but it actually improves the physical heart as well, which I think is quite miraculous. So that's, uh, it's, it's all because of where we're at collectively and we're growing into an age, not just the heart app, of course, but all these other uh, symptoms of love and, and our dissatisfaction with our current reality that allows and sometimes even encourages abuse, cruelty, and suffering. We're, we're I think collectively we're we're getting tired of that. We don't we don't want it anymore, and it breaks our hearts when we see children suffering. And that's that's a good thing because there was a time on Earth where it could, people just didn't care. You know, it was over there; it wasn't part of their lives. They, they could drive right past somebody suffering, and it wouldn't even affect them. I don't think anymore. I think all of us are, most of us at least. And the question is, how much is needed to make a mass global change? The theory from other scientists, which is a wonderful theory, is that we only need 1% of the population to begin to recognize this reality, this state of consciousness that our hearts are. It's not that we have to learn about it. It's not, do, do, does a mother have to learn her how to love her child, you know, especially right off the bat? No, this is just part of her. She immediately, she knows to to hold and these things and she doesn't think what's in it for me you know what's what's the deal here i have a new baby what, what am i going to get out of this deal <laughs> she <laughs> it's unconditional she just loves that's uh that's a hope for all of us it's ingrained with us it's part of us 
Right. Yeah. And I was wondering where, you know, in your mission, your mission statement is to have more than 1% of the global population using the quantum code technology. And I was, you already answered my question. I was like, well, why did he choose that? What is it about the one, you know, more than 1%? So you answered that question. Um, my my other thought, and I'm sure your answer is yes, but I'd, I'd like you to maybe talk a little bit more. You know, through all these experiences, do you also feel that even though you have done kind of your own studying and going into these dimensions, that you do have other beings who are working with you in developing these products that you're developing and that you're tapping into sources of information from a higher dimension and other beings that are facilitating your movement? All of us do, every one of us, whether we realize it or not. We are not alone. Uh, Not only do we have our human friends and loved ones and families and husbands and wives and children, we have the, we do have guides and and angelic beings and I've seen them and I've worked with them. And, uh, you know, maybe some people don't want to believe that, but it is so real, it is so real. When, in fact, um, even one of my heroes is Albert Einstein, and I know he was a lousy father, and I read that part, but what he, what, one of the things I liked about Dr. Einstein was that when he would get stumped on a mathematical issue, on a problem, he was trying to work it out, you know, what, how can I get to the answer? He would just get away from his lab, go out on his boat, this is later on in his life. He, he would start playing the violin. He would just play away, play Beethoven, whatever he was playing, and he would completely forget about what he was challenged with. And all of a sudden, the answer would flash. He would, he would just see the answer, and he'd rush back to the chalkboard or whatever and write down the answer. He was tapping into his higher state of consciousness. And I've, when I go into that higher state, there are beings that are just begging for a question so that they can go into this infinite resource of solutions and information and intelligence and and uh, problem solves solutions and be a conduit it's kind of like a uh, these days, you go into a library, you, you poke up, you know, a book that you want. Well, at least one of the San Francisco libraries, and you know, it's you, mechanically you're direct to the right book. You don't have to get a library anymore. You know, it's all it's just part of a computer. And um, like that, when we ask, let's just make it real here. So I want to know how I can help. Um, the fire victims around here, we live in Granite Bay and there's a fire, you know, if I ask that, I want to help and we just let go. Of course, I, if I can drive and I get food, there's these things that we know we can do. That's not what I'm saying. We, we use our existing storehouse of impressions and knowledge in our minds. We can give food. We can hold people that are crying. We can, but is there anything else I can do? That's when these beings, these guides, they can't, they can't, they, sometimes they can hint, but if you ask directly, I want help and I want it now, then they have permission via cosmic law to bring us to, to guide us to the right corner or we get these intuitions or these chills or we meet somebody, we go, oh my God, I was just asking how I could help. And now you, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about, April, right? Right, right. Yep. 
Absolutely. These beings are there to, to help us in that way. I mean, how do we, how do those synchronicities happen? Uh, there is an intelligence. There are there are actual beings that that have roles and functions that are not limited to physical time and or space. Actually, we can use them now. Yeah. So, can you tell our listeners as we're kind of wrapping up here? Unfortunately, running out of time. Like I said before, we got on the show. I need like three podcast episodes with you. <laughs> um, can you direct our listeners to where? your website is, how they can download the apps. I know that you mentioned it's really, really cheap. I think you said like $1.95, $1.99. But, um, you know, share with our listeners where they can find all this wonderful information. And I also love, too, on your website, you know, you touched upon it, but you also have the information of those scientific studies that were done about this kind of validating, the, you know, the validity of, yeah. of the work that you're doing. So where can people find this information? loveisthepower.com loveisthepower.com we got that website yay loveisthepower.com <laughs> you could we didn't have to you know we could we i remember thinking oh my god dude somebody must have had but we got it anyway you can go there you can get the book you can get uh the app on google or the app store just click in there it, it like you said april there's information on the science and we're adding things um, more information about geometries and things like that. Um, uh, that's the place. Awesome. Well, I hope all of our listeners are going to join this 1% of humanity and start building towards that so you can reach your mission. I really, really encourage our listeners, whether you download the app or not, please share this on your social media, on all of your social media accounts, text it to your friends, um, anybody that you know that needs to decrease their stress, improve their heart, come out of fight or flight. Um, please just do what you can to spread the word about this project. This is awesome. And Robert, you're doing amazing work and you know it's i guess we could say it's unfortunate all that you had to go through to get here but thank god you did you know yeah and we don't have to go through i want to nobody has to go through near-death experiences or you know we that's the greatness about this time of blossoming there's still suffering but we're moving out of it and and don't think that you have to suffer to gain anything um, uh, and you're awesome as well, April, and you're, what you guys, you and Michael are doing is so important. So I'll support you in any way I can. Awesome. Well, great. I really enjoyed our interview and thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on our show. My privilege. Thank you. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that show and don't forget to sign up for our premium service with over a hundred hours of interviews, as well as our new segments, such as two minute Tuesdays, food for thought Fridays, as well as the virtual book club on Thursdays. All of these extra segments are only available for our premium subscribers. Visit the podcast section of our website at path11productions.com to learn more or to start your subscription for only $3.99 a month. If you're not interested in a premium subscription, you can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Of course, you can still catch our latest five interview shows at any time by subscribing to the Path 11 podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and iHeartRadio. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. 
You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. Catch you next time.